Hello and welcome to the Inclusive Startup Playbook, the new podcast mini-series brought to you by Sifted and Morgan Stanley Inclusive Ventures Lab, the firm's in-house startup accelerator. I'm Anissa Osman-Britton, Startup Life reporter at Sifted, and this week I'm joined by some incredible guests, including Rachel Curtis, the CEO and co-founder at Initio AI, Rupert Puppet, the founder and managing partner of Aurelia Ventures, an entrepreneur in residence at Inclusive Ventures Lab, and Laura McGuinness, principal at Boulderton Capital. Over the next month, we'll be exploring the best ways to build an inclusive, resilient, and sustainable startup. This week, we're kicking off with how to build a strong board. Board members can be a critical asset to a startup, but finding the right people can be a challenge. To give the perspective of people who have seen many a startup board being built, we have Rupert Poppert and Laura McGuinness on the pod today. Rupert is entrepreneur in residence at Inclusive Ventures Lab, an initiative set up by Morgan Stanley to support tech and tech-enabled startups to advance a more equitable investment landscape. We also have Laura, who is principal at London-based VC Borderton Capital, and she also authored On Board with Borderton, a 101 guide to board meetings for early-stage CEOs. We've actually featured it in our Startup Live newsletter before. Welcome both. Thank you so much for joining us. It's incredible to have you here. You both witnessed the growth of many startups. I'd love to just get the 101 on it. What is a board and why does it actually exist in the first place? Yeah, so why boards exist? So it's generally like the governing body of the company, everything from like strategy, overseeing the management and protecting the interests of shareholders. And where I think it becomes really interesting is if it's a venture-backed startup that's raising fundraising rounds, there's a point where more and more investors are joining um, this cap table and there's a point where that really becomes quite important um, to govern what's happening in the business. Yeah, the primary purpose of a board, perhaps the more boring definition is that um, is to provide counsel and advice rather than directly manage the company's day-to-day operations. I like to think of boards as being responsible for creating checks and balances. They steer governance and accountability. And in terms of the buzzword governance, governance could be the framework of rules, practices, and processes that structure the board and how it operates. And finally, there's a fiduciary duty. Certain company actions require board decisions, um, like issuing shares or modifying shareholder agreements, uh, appointing new directors. So there's a a range of responsibilities uh, that the board covers. So do all companies have boards from day one? So I've got over 40 portfolio companies so far, and I typically see that it would happen when there's a lead investor that takes on a significant stake. So I typically will always suggest to startups, if you can wait till like a series A onwards, do. Um, If it's required earlier at seed, then it's a discussion definitely to have with your investors. But I think that like in the early stages of a startup, the founder still needs to be able to be agile, nimble, make decisions, make pivots and all of these sorts of things. And I think you know, we're really wanting them to focus on achieving product market fit and all of these wonderful things at that point. And so sometimes I think it can also be a distraction if it's introduced too early on in a startup's journey. Definitely agree. So yeah, we also say to introduce a formal board around Series A, but we recommend our seed stage companies to adopt board-like routines prior. So there are things that you can do to pretend in a sense that you have a board to establish these good practices Um, such as getting consensus around major decisions. The CEO often needs some some level of support in in mentorship, receiving specialized advice, 
So I think while formal boards usually come in at Series A, adopting board-like routines at Seed is usually a good practice down the line. And we're going to talk a lot more about the practicalities of actually forming that board. But before we get to that, I want to bring in the startup perspective of boards. So we have Rachel Curtis, who is the CEO and co-founder of Inicio AI, a startup which is using tech to help people gain a better understanding of their debt. And it is part of this year's Inclusive Ventures Lab cohort. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Could you tell me a little bit more about your company and how it came about? Sure. So Inicio AI is enabling businesses to understand what their end customers can afford. So currently where an organization needs a deep understanding of an individual's finance, they mostly have to do that over the phone with a long phone call. And that's actually quite painful for the end customer, but also for the business itself because it costs a lot of money. So what we're doing is we're using conversational AI and modern technology such as open banking, and that's to create a virtual agent that can guide a consumer through a really detailed affordability assessment. As you mentioned, we've started out in the debt space because current market conditions, cost of living, crisis, et cetera, mean there's a lot of demand there, but it's a very sort of flexible platform and it can be used in other markets such as new lending, wealth management, property tenant onboarding. So that's what we're doing. Can you talk to me a little bit about where you are in terms of a board at the moment? Have you got a board? Have you chosen your members? And how did you get there? Yeah, so I guess we've had to go a little bit earlier than you might expect. And that's because we're selling into regulated institutions and some of them large. So we've needed to put a lot of that infrastructure in place quite early. We've recruited our board over the last couple of years. And I started out with recruiting a chair because then I've worked with the chair to find the other directors and kind of go through the process that way. Interestingly, the rest of our board directors were originally board advisors, and that's worked out really well with both sides sort of getting to know the business and what we need and how it works. I think composition-wise, we started out looking at our strategy, what we needed to do, and kind of what our relatively short-term skills needs were. I guess in the world of startup, things are going to move really quickly and change really quickly, so you need to be flexible. But sort of those short-term needs, and then we've done sort of the skills matrix to understand, okay, what is going to be the right makeup of our board? And then we've gone out to recruit for that, basically. So... Our chair, for example, had a long career in financial services at a very senior level. So he's bringing that really relevant experience and contacts to what we're trying to do. Our next appointment was a debt industry specialist. So obviously very relevant experience to our markets, but he'd also got startup and exit experience as well. So that's really relevant. And then our final board appointment was a data specialist. We're trying to provide quality data to organizations to make those really valuable decisions on. So that data specialist piece was really critical. Again, they had startup and exit experience. So it had kind of got those elements. And then I think more generically, what we've looked for is a real passion around what we're doing as a business, along with a diversity of approach or thinking So that hopefully what we've ended up with is a a leadership team on our board that is super, super engaged with what we're trying to do and with the experience to help us deliver it. I really appreciate that comprehensive breakdown. I want to piggyback off of that a little bit. Laura, we heard there about board members and board advisors. What is the difference and what other sort of roles can people take on a board? Great question. Yeah, um, 
board members and advisors in an organization definitely serve different roles and, and have distinct responsibilities. So for board members, I mentioned earlier some of the legal responsibilities and fiduciary duties to the organization. So sometimes it could be overseeing an organization's management, strategic direction, reviewing financial health. Board members are typically involved in making key decisions regarding policy and strategy. They vote on critical issues and help set long-term goals. And I would also say that there's a bigger accountability component for a board member over an advisor and that they are accountable to the stakeholders of the organization. So that could be the shareholders, members of a nonprofit, for example. Finally, I would add that board members are formally appointed. So it's a formal role with defined terms of service and, again, includes these legal obligations under corporate law. So versus advisors have a more perhaps unstructured relationship and role. Board members have a pretty structured set of rules and responsibilities to adhere to. Do those duties, those responsibilities, do they maybe change based on geography, location, type of company? Maybe Rupa, you said you have a, a portfolio of over 40 companies. You've seen a lot. How does that play out? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, primarily my companies are in the UK and a lot of them have scaled into different markets. So like they've maybe done their series A's in the US and things like that. But generally, like I think the board kind of governance role is very familiar. And I think it doesn't differ that much other than if there's any different regulatory rules in different regions. And actually, you know, the way I see it played out is very much about who the lead investor is in that round and how they want to protect themselves, their LPs, and that kind of shareholder interest in that next phase. And then also then with the lead investors, like thinking about who else could really add value like an independent board member and that maybe has a regional or a strategic impact or something like that. So I think there's a couple of dynamics to think about. And one is definitely more about who's on the board. And then the other piece is definitely more about what each of them kind of bring from that governance perspective, depending on whether they have like a shareholder interest or not. I think on the advisory side, also geographically, like it obviously, especially as a lot of these businesses might start in one region, but they may grow into other markets um, that they maybe are less familiar with. I think that that's where um, board advisors can play a really good part. And I'm big on board advisors and just general advisors. And, you know, as Laura was saying, it can be very ad hoc and very unstructured. But I've also seen like some really interesting case studies like within companies where it's been structured and there's been a really clear remuneration and KPI plan. And it's been a way where maybe that person can be someone that you're getting to know as a future board member or maybe someone that serves like a specific business, like the commercial aspect of your business or, you know, like the customer acquisition or marketing part of your business or even engineering data, AI strategy part of your business. But you're not ready to put like a full governance board together. And that's definitely where I think even in the regional part, it can really play a part to help you quickly get up to speed on what you need to know as a founder in those markets. Laura, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, yes, I can add one more point. Rupa covered it perfectly, but we speak a lot at Balderton about how we've noticed that boards are increasingly accountable for ESG oversight. And we're seeing that as a bigger bullet point um, within European companies. So we all know that there's a growing interest in ESG, but that is often being pushed by investors, employees, customers, and boards do have an, a role to play in overseeing some of this ESG risk and strategy. And we recommend now covering, we recommend that our boards cover ESG at least one to two times a year. 
and to provide direction and, and challenge leadership on the agenda and also preempt risks and opportunities more effectively. And in fact, I think what's super cool is the UK was the first government to enshrine climate disclosures into law by making the TCFD, the Task Force on Financial Related Disclosures, to bring more transparency and consistency in how organizations um, take into account climate-related financial risk. And I think what's really fascinating about all the things Rupa and Laura, you've both spoken about, and also Rachel, when you're talking about your composition, is the wide-ranging skills of needed for your board. So I'm really curious, how do you get that bit right? And does it change over time? So maybe Laura was saying there about ESG, do you need maybe someone with more climate-focused understanding earlier on? Or how does that work? Our advisors, they've kind of grown with the organization as our needs have changed. So we are ostensibly a B2B business at this stage, but we're just starting to build out some B2C aspects of it. So we've just recruited our latest board advisor, has a background as the MD of one of the credit bureaus in their uh, B2C section. And he's got the very relevant on the ground experience to be able to help us in that, like we say, that slightly more unstructured way as a board advisor. So the way I typically use my my board is about the governance and the big decisions and that are we raising, how much, what's the valuation, the risk register, signing off policies, all of that great governance stuff. My board advisors are absolutely that. They're advisors and I can have one-to-ones with them where I will deep dive on a topic. So I'm doing three hours next week with one of my advisors on our roadmap because we need to have a more detailed tech discussion as a, a group of board advisors but I need a, a detailed session on the roadmap first um, in fact yesterday we had a, a board advisor session with all of them where we went through sort of a business update picked a couple of themes and then we're going to break off into smaller groups to take those themes forward so we've done sessions on our value proposition and a smaller group have really sort of worked on that and nailed that piece with us so I really do see them as heavyweight experienced extension of my in-house team I guess to get that sort of I know we talk about fractional roles in other situations I guess my board advisors are like very fractional if you see what I mean but they can do deep dive really intense sessions on things one of them for example came in and helped us implement sprints and agile working in the business and that's been amazing in terms of helping us deliver. Laura Rupa I'd love to hear from you on that exact point of how does that change over time and how are you, should you be maybe thinking about those skills? Should you be using them to deep dive? Is it much more strategic? What are you seeing from a portfolio level? So I think definitely with board advisors, I think it can definitely be deep dive. It can be ad hoc. I always typically say that if it's like a formal arrangement, there should be some, you know, there's a fast agreement template and a bunch of other templates out there. And you can normally have a cliff so you get to know each other before maybe equity starts to get vested and it's a bit more formal. And so you kind of get to know each other. But I think that that's a really important kind of period of time. And I think it's really about understanding like what sort of value um, you're both getting from the relationships. I think everything, I always think about any relationship as a win for both sides. So it has to be relevant for both sides to continue to contribute to it. So I think those can definitely be assessed on an ad hoc basis. And I think as the business grows, that will naturally, like some advisors will tail off. Like I'm very much like I'm here for founders at a pre-seed and a seed level as an investor. After that, from series A onwards, I probably am unlikely to be needed. And I 
I occasionally get calls and requests, but it's really, really rare. And it's a lot more rarer than how involved I am early stage, because at that point, there's other investors that have come in who are very much more ready and skilled to support the founders to the next level. And so while I am still around, I'm probably less, my skill set's less needed there. And so that's how I kind of think about that space. And then on the board side, I think that it's good to do regular reviews. So like typically I'd say it's like anywhere between one to three years, but given that if it's a venture backed business and they're raising at regular intervals of like, let's say 18 to 24 months, then that's a really good time to review the board at like kind of each kind of fundraising milestone. I've also seen like scenarios where a board is doing really well or it's doing not so well, or and the chemistry is doing not so well. And in either of those scenarios, it can also be a good time to review what else the board could need to either help accelerate it or to solve some of the challenges that have been coming its way. And then finally, things do change. So like I always say that it's great to have someone on the board who's been there, done that. Like let's say you're a marketplace business you're a series A and you want to get to B, C, et cetera, having maybe a founder that's done that exited at a series C moment or something like onwards, it's really great to have someone like that that's done the journey, that's weathered the storm, that's gone through the kind of experiences. And so thinking about at each stage what you need to get to the next point and the next milestones that you're kind of setting yourself as a business, I think is really important as well as obviously like making sure your investors feel well represented, you know, after that next stage of funding. Lastly, I can add... There are a few other roles within a board that can change the later later the stage. One of those is the chair. And a chair is it's kind of like a support and, and mentor to the CEO. And in this person is usually comes in around series B or C plus and brings they they facilitate consensus, they act as a mediator, reduce pressure on the CEO, they support with complex consent matters. So we say that great boards are well chaired. And and again, that comes in at the later stage. And then Rupa mentioned earlier about committees and typically around series C or D plus-ish, you start to form committees. And these are kind of specialized groups of of people that advise and authorize different decisions. Um, There's usually an audit committee that oversees accounting remuneration, which is uh, establishes executive compensation risk committees that are, are extremely necessary in financial services that prove a risk management framework. So it absolutely does change over time. And the later the stage, the more complex the topics, and you do start to need to leverage um, specialist expertise. Great. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the inclusion piece of a board. Is inclusivity important on a board? And why? Why does it make a difference? First of all, I think for me, like some really important that you practice what you preach. So like if you practice inclusivity in your workplace, um, if you practice inclusivity on your cap table, why should your board be any different? And I think time and again, diversity and inclusion is proving to give outperformed results. And so I think that applies at the board level as well. On top of that, it reduces that risk of like group thinking while also driving authenticity. And I think that's really important. I definitely agree. I, I think a strong, effective board creates an environment where everyone has the time, safety, and confidence to contribute. And groupthink doesn't necessarily foster the most innovative ideas. And a lot of companies, a lot of startups will ask us, but how can we make it more diverse? And I think one great way to increase inclusivity and diversity in the board is to leverage independent directors who bring diverse perspectives. So 
These can be former CEOs. It can be sector heavyweights, customer experts, B2B, B2C experts, people with stage transition experience, M&A experience. And you can start to recruit these independent directors quite early on so that as your company scales, you can onboard these innovative leaders and, and unique thinkers, which I hope we see more of. Laura, it would be great if you could briefly outline and explain what an independent director is. Great question. An independent director is a contributor in the board that is not part of the founding or management team. Um, they're not part of the executive team, and they join the board oftentimes to bring diverse perspectives. They bring valuable experience that support company decisions, um, prevent mistakes, and we recommend that you recruit independent directors with the same effort as you recruit C-level executives. So you essentially can identify knowledge gaps on your board, create a job spec, reference these independents, again, people who sit outside of the executive team, outside of your, your investors. And we recommend to look for these leaders in unique areas, um, again, so they can be sector heavyweights, they can be have hyper-specialized knowledge. They can um, be general counsel as you get closer to IPO. And, and so these people oftentimes are, are incredible knowledge and thought leaders that can also bring an inclusive lens. That's all we have time for today. A huge thank you to my guests, Laura, Rupa, and Rachel. If you want to hear more about the inside working of Europe's startups, explore the latest workplace trends and read helpful resources, you can sign up to our Startup Live newsletter, which I have the pleasure of co-writing with Miriam Partington, our Berlin correspondent. And make sure you tune in to our podcast next week, where we'll be discussing how to build more inclusive products. You can also find all the articles and facts mentioned in this episode in the podcast description. Thank you to Morgan Stanley for sponsoring this podcast series. Apply now through March 15th for the 2024 Morgan Stanley Inclusive Ventures Lab, an accelerator for tech and tech-enabled startups to access capital, resources, and connections to help further develop and scale their companies and to advance a more equitable investment landscape. You can learn more at their website, morganstanley.com forward slash MSIVL.